Welcome to the Sunday Sermons Podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Father, we pray that as your people that you will help us to see everything through your eyes and to take action the way you want us to take action action. Forgive us, God, because each one of us, I'm sure, each one of us I know does not have all of the answers. We don't know, but we know that you want justice. We know that you want equality. We know that you want every single person to hear the gospel, every single person to be able to be a child of yours. You want your people to set the best possible example of how to help the sick, how to help the poor, how to face fear, how to do all the other things that the world is struggling, that we are struggling to do right now. We pray especially, Father, for our African-American brothers and sisters this morning, the extra measure of pain that they're going through at this season. But God, I pray for something way bigger than any of this. I pray for you. I pray that you will move, that you will reignite every church, not just Morrison Hill Christian Church, that your global body, speaking in every language, coming from every cultural background, no matter where we are or who we were before we came to you, that we will together see the world through your eyes. Together we will change it. We will build your kingdom together. We pray this. And we pray that this morning, this message we hear right now will be a step in that direction. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to say a very special welcome to any guests that we have with us today. Uh, We're glad that our church can be open and that you can be here worshiping the Lord with us. And I hope that this message is a blessing to you. Uh, Let's start with the scripture on the screen here first. (laughs) First of all, this is a very familiar scripture, is it not? I know that there's been times in my life, you know, when I see one and I say, oh yeah, I I know that scripture, I know what it says. Let's go to something else, you know. Don't do that. There's a very, very important message from the words of our Savior in this scripture. And I want us to listen and hear it again, maybe in a way that we've never heard it before. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. I want to talk to us today about two things that are embedded in this scripture. Number one, this message is spoken to his disciples and was to be passed on by them to others who would become disciples. And so we're talking about followers of Christ receiving a great commission. 
But the other part that he wanted his apostle, his disciples to know was the last part. Go and make disciples. And this isn't just for the ministers. This is for all who would follow Christ to learn how to lead other people to Christ and make them disciples also. Now, it's good to read this Great Commission again. It's vital from time to time that we as individuals and as a congregation evaluate how we're doing and then ask ourselves, are we doing what we are supposed to be doing? Secondly, are we on course or are we sidetracked? Is anything that we're doing detracting from what we are supposed to be doing? And then thirdly, are we doing things in the most effective way? We need to ask ourselves these questions and evaluate how we're doing in fulfilling this commission because we're accountable. This is a command given to us by our Lord. And we also know we have an enemy. Uh, we know the spiritual warfare is going on 24 seven. And we know that Satan likes to alter and change what God has said. And we also know that big changes can be made over time by making seemingly small changes little by little. And when that happens, veering off course even a small degree at a time will cause us to get off course and we're going to miss accomplishing what we are left here to do. Satan loves to cause us to overly focus on one thing and lose focus on the other. Now, I want to give you an example. If I were to simply ask, why did God send Jesus to earth? Well, I think that probably the answer would be to die as a sacrifice for our sins. The problem is that most would think that's the right answer and no more thought should be given. It's like saying, well, he made the sacrifice, we accepted the forgiveness offered, we're saved, mission accomplished. Really? Is that all? Christ not only came to provide a way of forgiveness for our sins. This is one of the things that the devil likes to emphasize and forget the other. But there is more. He also came to teach us how to live and to set us free from the power of sin so that we could live the life that God designed for us to live. And that's where our responsibility in the Great Commission comes in. Live like he's called us to live, lead people to Christ, and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded us. Now, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, his last words before he ascended into heaven, it's like he was saying, I have done what I came to do. I made salvation possible, but the rest is up to you. You have to make this known. And to get the job done, you will have to be disciples who will make disciples who will also make disciples who will also make disciples. And it goes. Francis Chan has said it very, very well. Listen, he said, making disciples is far more than a program. 
It's the mission of our lives. It defines us. A disciple is a disciple maker. You know, it's like on Facebook, you get something there and they say, you know, if you agree with this, pass it on. And you pass it on and they read it. If you agree with this, pass it on. And so it goes and goes and goes. But if you don't pass it on, what happens? It stops and dies right there, doesn't it? The same thing happens with the gospel of Christ. If we don't pass it on, it just stops and it dies right there. And here's where we're failing. It's not enough to bring people into a saving relationship with Christ. We've got to teach them well enough to be able to bring another person to Christ and teach that person to do the same. So how are we doing? Is the growth of our church in this area stymied because we're not making disciples who make disciples? Are we leaving this just to the ministerial staff or are we as individuals disciples saying, that's me too. I have that responsibility. Now I'm not going to ask for a show of hands for all who are currently either working on bringing someone to Jesus or discipling a new believer, but each of us should be able to raise our hands and say, yes, yes, and especially parents. Your children, when they become Christians, are your little brother and sister in Christ, a new believer. And you have a greater opportunity to disciple them in how to live their life for Jesus. Now, part of the reason why there's so little activity in fulfilling this Great Commission is that there have been some little changes made over time in the way that some present the gospel. And this has caused the church to be content with less than what God really expects of followers of Christ. Scott McKnight said this, most evangelism today is obsessed with getting someone to make a decision. The apostles, however, were obsessed with making disciples. Now, pastors and churches are tempted so often to gauge their success by the number of decisions that are made Sunday after Sunday. And leading people to Christ, unfortunately, in many cases, has been reduced to just presenting a plan of salvation and asking them to accept Christ as their Savior so their sins can be forgiven and be saved. But submitting their life to the Lordship of Christ is not connected to the decision that they were asked to make. And this makes commitment to life change and following Jesus seem like it's optional. No, it's two sides of the same coin here. Now, when the main emphasis on getting, with the main emphasis on getting decisions, some of the key Christian terms have been sort of watered down so their real meaning has been compromised. And this allows it to mean much, much less than what God intended. Let me give you an example here. Over time, the term conversion has become sort of a theoretical slang for the time when someone makes that decision to become a Christian. Okay? Now, what happens is 
that a conversion to Christ, which should be the starting line, oftentimes becomes the finish line. You know what I'm saying? Uh, years ago, when revivals were a big thing for several churches, one preacher who held a revival was asked, and at this point the question was asked with the term conversion in the right way. He said, well, how many conversions did you have this week? He said, I don't know, maybe we'll know in about six months. Because it depends on life change. This is what conversion is all about. And you often hear people say, I got saved last Sunday. Well, being a disciple of Jesus is not about a one-time decision to do a one-time thing. Like, I went forward and I got saved. Or I got baptized and I got saved. That decision is truly only the beautiful beginning of a new life of change. Now, since commitment to the Lordship of Christ and life change is not always presented as part of the decision that people are called to make, then to them the term Christian has developed so many connotations in our current society, it doesn't absolutely define what a follower of Christ should be like. Now, you ask someone, are you a Christian? Yes. Well, what does that mean? Well, oftentimes it only means that, well, I believe that Jesus is God's son and I go to church. Sometimes regularly, sometimes not, you know. And so when this, when this has been watered down like this, then some people can call themselves Christians and still be living however they want to live and do whatever they want to do or not do what they don't want to do. And some who are brought to Christ have no idea that they are to commit themselves to a lifetime process of becoming like Jesus and partnering with him and getting the gospel to the whole world. Now the terms Christian and disciple, I think by many of us, would seem to be synonymous. They're not, not in the current situation. Uh, the difference is really about expectations. See, a Christian refers to, tends to refer to a status or a position. But a disciple uh, or a Christian is expected to be something. But a disciple is expected to do something. A disciple is a learner, a student of someone. And the term implies action or obedience. So if we are supposed to be disciples making disciples, we really need to take a look at our life to make sure, first of all, that we are disciples. We don't want to reproduce what we are and say that's good enough for the church if we're not really disciples. We don't want to produce anything that is not genuine. So we need to examine what a disciple is and ask ourselves, am I one? Am I a disciple? Disciple is the term that Jesus used in the Great Commission to describe what he wanted his followers to be. Now, it's not just gaining knowledge. It's not just gaining insights. It's not just gaining understanding about the Bible. Nor is it just about being active and involved and doing many good things, though these are part of being a disciple, a disciple is more about 
who you are. It's defining your life, not just a characteristic of your life. Living as a disciple is a part of our salvation experience. Now, pardon me for pulling Greek on you, but in the Greek, the word saved is a perfect passive participle. And what that means is that the salvation is connected to an action that has been completed in the past with results that continue into the future in an ongoing reality in our lives. It's both an event and a process. It begins with faith and repentance, and it's followed by a lifetime of discipleship. It's part of our salvation. Look at this next quote from Bill Hull, a real disciple maker. He says this, All who are called to salvation are called to discipleship. No exceptions. No excuses. This is what we're to be. Being a disciple is committing yourself to follow the will of God in the way that you live your life. Elizabeth Elliot says this, The will of God is not something you add to your life. It is a course that you choose. You either line yourself up with the Son of God or you capitulate to the principle that governs the rest of the world. How are you going to live? Now, there are two aspects of who Jesus is that define his relationship to us. The first one is Savior. That's the one that we like to emphasize. Just get him saved. Uh, there's more. But let's talk about Savior first. As a Savior, he has saved us from experiencing God's wrath and eternal judgment. He saves us from, uh, from more than that, though. He saves us from Satan's purposes. He saves us from a misguided and wasted life. And he saves us for something else as well. We are saved for a life of love and righteousness and for life eternal with God in heaven. Paul said this well in Titus, the second chapter, verse 11 through 14. It says, for the grace of God appeared, that has appeared that offers salvation to all people, but it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. See, salvation changes our whole identity. We have a new life. We have a new calling, a new purpose, a new reason for living, a hope. And Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 10 says this, for we are God's masterpiece making us new. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, Jesus is not just our Savior. That's the first part. That gets us saved. But the other relationship that we have with Jesus is this. Jesus is our Lord, our leader, 
the one who determines the direction and the character of our lives. Romans, the 14th chapter, verse 8. Let's read this together. This tells us how we're to focus our lives. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Beautiful, beautiful. Now Jesus, wow, this new life. Let me share with you another scripture. Paul explained it a bit more, Galatians 2.20. This describes the new life and what actually happens in us. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a disciple. That's someone who's really committed to the Lord. Our lives around our selfish desires. And for Satan, <laughs> there's little strategic difference between killing Christians or putting them out of action by encouraging them to feed their selfish desires and live however they want to live. Either way, he gets what he wants. Less disciples are being made. We need to live for the Lord, not ourselves. Rick Warren put it this way, you cannot fulfill God's purpose for your life while focusing on your own plans. Now we know that Jesus wants disciples. We talked about key terms and concepts and the confusion and the meanings about conversion, getting saved, the name Krishna disciple, the relation of discipleship with salvation. Now let's talk about us. How are we doing? Let's look at ourselves in the mirror of God's word and ask ourselves, according to God's word, what is expected of me as a disciple? What should characterize my life? So let me ask you, do you consider yourself a disciple or a modern day Christian? Good question. Do you sense the Holy Spirit encouraging you to give more of yourself, to become more of a disciple? If so, I want you to listen to these words from Richard Foster. He says, to become a disciple of Jesus requires intentionality, a purposeful attempt to foster the discipleship process day in and day out. Dallas Willard gives a very wise warning to those who are not intentional in keeping their spiritual disciplines. He says this, in order to grow up spiritually, we need to deliberately make space in our lives for God. Like any relationship, our connection with God will atrophy and become unhealthy if not nurtured. True words. Now, I want to mention some spiritual disciplines of a disciple. And I think these are well known, might not be anything new, but listen again and hear it in a new way. Because though they're well known, they may not be well practiced. And I listen, listen, list these disciplines, and I want to make just a few major comments about the importance of each. And I want you to think about how many of these disciplines 
are a vital part of your own life practice, and to what extent? Now be honest with yourself about how closely they describe your life as a disciple or not. First one, so essential, daily study time in the scriptures. Why? Because this is the way that God speaks to us. I remember when I was a little kid in grade school, even though we were going to a liberal church, my dad noticed that uh, me, along with the other kids, you know, we're not really paying attention to the sermon. But he said, he talked to us after church one day, and he said, now I understand some of this might be a little bit above you, but any time that he starts reading the Word of God, you sit up and pay attention. This is God speaking to you. And this is how we need to regard the Word of God. I, I had this scripture in my Bible uh, during my second ministry. This Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this Bible. Paul wrote to Timothy these words, and it explains how valuable this is. Paul said, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And isn't this what we want to learn as disciples of Christ? Absolutely. Remember though, study and learn is different from merely reading the Bible. You must apply what you learn. James in the fourth chapter, verse 17 says, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Second thing, spend much time in prayer. I've shared before, I had become a Christian just one year before going to Bible college. So my mom was working in discipling me, so was my dad, but I, I got a letter from her one time and she was talking about prayer. And here's what she said. She said, you can't be much for God if you're not much with God. Got that? She passed on another saying from one of the revival preachers when he was talking about prayer, and he says, the Christian who's not praying is playing. We need to understand that prayer is as essential to developing and maintaining spirituality as breathing is to life. Number three, fellowship. We're just emerging from a time of quarantining ourselves and we've had a taste of life with no fellowship with our brothers or sisters in Christ except maybe over the internet. And our ministerial staff has been so concerned about keeping our congregation together because we know that the main cause of stunted spiritual growth or spiritual failure is keeping yourselves away from others who can speak truth into your life and challenge and encourage you and help hold you accountable. The scriptures even told the, the group that the writer of Hebrews was writing to, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. 
The body of Christ needs you, and you need the body of Christ. Fellowship is forming and deepening relationships in such a way that we help each other keep our commitments to God. Number four, I consider this a spiritual discipline for me. Faithful partaking of the Lord's Supper. If I ever have to miss church on Sunday, I find a way where I can take communion. Why? My goodness, this is so important. Don't ever let it become just a ritual. This is what keeps us remembering God's love for us and it keeps us examining our love and our commitment to Christ if we're observing it in the right way. And it can be so powerful in keeping us on track. Now I want to mention another one, serving. may step on some toes here, but some only attend one service and are not involved in any ministry team at all. They're here, they're out. Never see them till another Sunday. Have no idea what they're doing. But we need to understand the body of Christ has many members, but each member has a function to perform. And a disciple follows the example of our master who came not to be served, but to serve. And Peter wrote this to the Christians, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in all its various forms. A fourth one here, giving. You say, oh, that's a spiritual discipline? Yeah, it really is. Because giving reflects the measure of our faith, the depth of our love, the passion of our worship, and our commitment to the body of Christ, and it's our part in getting the gospel to the whole world. It's putting God first, saying, I trust you completely, and I love you. You love me. You'll provide. Now we come to another one. And unfortunately, this is probably the most neglected spiritual discipline. It's part of what this sermon is about. Making disciples who will make other disciples. This is where most of us fail. Dr. Robert Coleman, well known for his book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, was asked one time in an interview, if you could ask the church any question, what would you ask? And this is what he said. Why aren't you making disciples who make disciples? Good question. But since making disciples is the main task of the church, every church and every church member ought to be able to answer two questions. What is your plan for making disciples of Jesus? And is your plan working? Now, these seven disciplines that we've talked about, this, oh, sounds like work. Oh, but they're so essential to the life of a disciple. They're not a chore. They're a joy. This is how we develop our relationship with Christ and grow spiritually. These disciplines are fulfilling. They produce spiritual growth. They equip us, and they qualify us by example to make disciples who will make other disciples. So if you feel like you're doing well in maintaining these spiritual disciplines, 
except for making disciples. What kind of plan do you follow for making disciples? Well, can I recommend one? It's the same plan that Jesus used. It's not hard. It's not rocket science. We don't have to send off to some religious publishing company and get books and then read these and study these, have a class and all of this. It's something that's to be much more natural as a part of our lives. Now, the first major requirement, we're going to do this like Jesus, the first major requirement, love others like Jesus loves you. That not only means caring about their situation now, it also means about caring about their eternity and where they spend eternity. Remember, Jesus' main purpose in coming was to make a way for people to have eternal life with God in heaven. And when we look at all of the people that we meet, we need to know that there is not one person that we may ever meet whom Jesus does not love and for whom Jesus did not die. Love them. Bring them to Christ. Second thing, begin entering into the lives of others. We, we have this tendency to just group in our own little group. How many non-Christians do you know that you actually have a relationship with? How many of us try to spend time each week finding people that need Jesus? Well, this is important. Discipleship According to Francis Chan, and I like this, he says, discipleship is all about living life together rather than just one structured meeting per week. It's different than the way we do it, isn't it? Invite them for meals. Join them in recreation. Go places. Do things with them. Help them with projects. Let them see the way you live your life for Jesus. And then the third thing, form relationships with the heart of Jesus in you. Because without a relationship to where someone knows we love them and knows we genuinely care, we're just passing on information. I probably ought to tell you this. Well, passing on information is not necessarily discipleship. Next thing, we've talked about loving them, develop a relationship with them, and then in that relationship, demonstrate love in tangible ways. And here's why. This helps us accomplish what we're out to do. Nothing disarms a person like love, right? When a person knows that they're loved, they'll listen, and they'll also open up. And you will have an audience with everybody who knows they're loved and knows you care about them. You can't have a relationship with people you don't like or don't approve of. You have to love them like Jesus. Okay, finally come down to near the end. Share the good news. But do it in a way where you're sharing the differences that Christ has made and is still making in your life. This is what they want to know. Is it real? You know, you may not even need to use scripture verses. Just share what God is doing in your life. They want to know something works and actually gives them hope and a new life.
And then the last one, invite them just like Jesus, come, follow me. Follow me, and I will show you how to live for the one that died for you. I'll show you how to have a new life. And as you strengthen and grow in your spiritual disciplines, don't forget, we're responsible for carrying on the work of Jesus. We make disciples who are going to make other disciples. And remember, Jesus commissioned us to do this. He expects it, and we're accountable for it. So I'm challenging you today. You know, you have done all that you have done. I, I really believe, I love this congregation. We've got good people here. You are doing your best to live for Christ in so many ways, and I see this in your lives. But are you committed to reaching other people for Christ and making disciples? This is what we need. Let me just close with this short little poem. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the things that you do and the words that you say. And the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are read by more than a few. But the one that is most read and commented on is the gospel according to you. Can they see Jesus in you? Will they feel drawn to Jesus through your life? And are you ready to be involved with them and show them and lead them to a saving relationship in Christ and grow and become part of the family and the kingdom of God? It's our challenge. Decision time for you. That concludes the Sunday Sermons podcast. You can respond to the invitation you just heard where you are right now. Don't waste this opportunity to change your life for the better. If you've made a decision or are interested in learning more, please visit us at morrisonhill.com.